Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to episode one of Movie Madness Season 3 in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner and Sean Shute. Usually we'd have Jack Harper here with us. Um, we referenced it last season. Work has just got a bit too much for him. Uh, whether it's the prep, whether it's just taking a time out for the boys, I don't know. But uh, make your own mind up there. I'm sure we'll be back next week. We did do an interview earlier in the week, which will drop next Friday with uh, Jeffrey Weissman from Back to the Future Part 2. So that'll be on YouTube next week. Uh, the matchup we'll be getting stuck into this week, though, is 2009's Avatar, the highest grossing film of all time, versus 1993's True Romance. This is really top of the pile gross-wise to the bottom of the barrel stuff, um, which we'll get into later with True Romance, actually. Uh, so this bracket will fill up the next five months for us, really, well, four and a bit, as we determine the greatest adventure movie of all time, in our opinion. But take it as gospel. Avatar will obviously kick off with the one seed, and this could go one of two ways. It's never been an easy ride when you look back at uh, seasons one and two. So season one... Um, much to Sean's despair, Bruce Almighty was knocked out by Sex Drive. And when it came to season two, uh, the raid really did push the Dark Knight to the limit. So it could be another it could be another close one. I wouldn't tune in expecting Avatar to just be a knockover job. And I will say we're back to uh, scoring at the end of the pod as we do for all of the first round clashes. So we don't know who's going to win. We only know our own opinions so far. I noticed you were going to jump in then, Sean. So, uh, what's on your mind? No, it's just just you reminded me of uh, the travesty of Bruce Almighty losing to uh, to Sex Drive, but <clears throat> kind of saved Bruce, it by the the raids' uh, valiant effort in against the Dark Knight. Bruce Almighty, I think, is quite a poignant one to think about when it comes to how this season will go, because a lot of these films are films that came out either before we were born or films that we at least haven't watched since we were a lot younger. And we saw when it came to, say, Bruce Almighty was an example, but a role models I know was another big example when we did it the second time around as to how things have aged quite differently and how we view them this time around. So it may be some of these films that we're going in looking forward to might not be so great when we get there. For sure, for sure. Um. I'll make sure I don't sell anything too bigly this time. Uh, is that bigly a word? Too big this time because I just can't take the heartbreak again when it comes to things like dread. I can't put myself through it again. <laughs> but Avatar, synopsis, same kind of format as last time. So a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. I will say, well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll pass the reins over. Keenan, before we even get into the plot, do you want to pass on your synopsis here? Because you've said it to me a couple yeah. of times this week. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Pocahontas in space. This is all this film is. It's semi-Stockholm semi, semi Stockholm Syndrome. 
chucked in by the fact that there's there's a there's a there's a pretty girl in it. Obviously, in this case, it's a ten foot tall blue alien, but the premise remains. What's the <laughs> what's the bloke's name in Pocahontas? It's John something, isn't it? John John Smith. Is he more handsome than uh, Sam Worthington? <laughs> He's uh, from memory. I've not seen Pocahontas in quite a while, as you can imagine. <laughs> as you can might imagine, he always gives me a Fred from Scooby Doo vibe. The cartoon <laughs> yeah. version, not the yeah. not the Fred from <laughs> version. Who would be the equivalent for the Leslie Mann Hall of Fame for blokes? Oh, that's, a good, that's a good question. The guy I actually have one. I have to keep it. Just said it. The Freddie Prince Jr. Hall of Fame. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Early twos was about it. No, oh, hey, just the, just the name. You, were you just the name, or were you looking for some entrance? No, no, no. But before you um, were on board, Keen and um, Freddie Prince Jr. Early fan of the pod. Legend. She's all that. And uh, Scooby Doo. Don't forget that. Yeah, he was in both. He was in them. Who, who was, who was, who was who you thought of that would be an entrance? You know, interest. <laughs> you have seen it. Uh, the lead character from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. I think that's a bit disrespectful. I don't. <laughs> what do you think, sure. Uh, I mean, well, who are you think is it disrespectful? Who, who is it disrespectful to him? <laughs> him or yeah. the, the Hall of Fame? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I mean my as again my guess my say was Matthew Broderick. Hey, we'll get on to Matthew Broderick. He uh, should have been the next big star, but we'll get there in a couple of weeks as uh, we got Bueller up against Lord of the Rings. They're just gonna forgive the whole that that killing someone by dangerously driving. Is that Matthew Broderick? Yeah, Yeah, is that not him? Matthew. He was hit by he was hit by a car. I thought he. I thought he injured someone. He was. In, he was. I mean, <laughs> a bit of a darker start to the pod when I was expecting when we went down this way. But as I mean, and maybe oh. through rose-tinted glasses, I'm pretty sure I knew he was involved in a car accident because the, on August the fifth, nineteen eighty-seven, while while driving a rented BMW three one six in Enniskill in Northern Ireland, Broderick crossed into the wrong lane and collided head-on with a Volvo. Now I don't drive. <laughs> so I, I don't. I, I. But I would only suggest that if you if you cross into the wrong lane, you might be the person at fault. You've not seen Sean drive. I. I. I mean, I don't drive, so I'm just saying he was also yeah, charged really... with causing death by dangerous driving. So, Keenan, do you have a license? Yeah, he does. No, no I don't. I thought you do. I thought no, you were I've... one of that annoying bunch that passed but don't drive. No, I took my driving test once before I left the country and I failed because I can't reverse around the corner. And then I've been saying to myself and just about hey. everyone I've met. I'll, Easier I'll, said I'll do than it. done, do Keenan. Uh, yeah, um, it wasn't even like I could blag it. 75% of the car ended up on the curb. Um, it might be three, more difficult some, but uh, <laughs> there we go. Critics reviews then for Avatar. Um the majority of these are from when it was first released, if that would affect. Do you think good or bad? I reckon they'll be good, because this was like a... This, well, GC gross. Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> I was going to say Phenom, but and I was just thinking, well, it's the, you've already said it's the highest grossing film ever. Yeah. Because I'd like you that's happened without you being able to find a few good reviews. Yeah. Um, I'll just get into them. Okay. Um so, the level of detail and creativity surrounding the look of director James Cameron's new world is simply astonishing. I think that's the biggest plus with this film, is the, is the world that he kind of creates, especially in 3D, which we'll get into a, a conversation am on I, the 3D. Am I making this 
Am I making this up? But was the CGI like really revolutionary at the time, or have I just got that in my time. head? It exactly. was, um, yeah, it was. They claim there isn't as much CGI as you think, which is hard to believe in <laughs> a world of blue people. Mm. But, I mean, I don't think we claim to be too techy on here. No, sir. They had something where they called it where they found a way to combine the two. So they were still acting it, but I don't really know how to explain it properly. So. It's probably going to sound worse. But yes, it, it was supposed to be revolutionary for the time. And it was the first yeah. film shot with 3D cameras. I had that in the ads as we were, as I was going back through it. And I don't, I do far, I will openly say I do far less research for these pods than Byron does. So I, I, I just had that in my head. Um, but I wasn't sure <laughs> if I was making it up. Did that sound to you then, Sean, like, like Keenan was in a helicopter? No, there's one, there's one, sorry, there's, there's one there's one flying above me. <laughs> it sounded like you were in it because your voice kind of tailed away briefly. Um, uh, it was because I heard the helicopter. And I was like, what, what, was, I, what I would presume is a police helicopter? That would be great if you were doing the pod from a helicopter. Um, apart from the noise. Mate. Remember, you, um, were, you went through a phase where you were obsessed with 3D. What we're going to get into, actually, I've got a topic here as, the, uh, as to our best and worst 3D experiences, so we'll get to that. Uh-huh. Um, watching the movie was eye-popping without being eye-aching, and as immersive an experience as Cameron has been promising. Avatar entertained me for nearly three hours, and I left the theatre satisfied, even if my critic's spidey sense tingled at some of the clichés and formulaic filmisms. It's a slightly tough one with that, because this doesn't fall into the realm of leave your brain at the door, which, as we've said several times, is strange for a film with blue people walking around. But it's, it doesn't fall into that category, does it? You are supposed to give this a certain level of thought, not like the types of uh, John Wick, The Equalizer, that kind of thing, where you are literally supposed to, not even at the door, a couple of doors away. I, yeah, you are right. But, I mean, you would say predictable in a way, almost, that the plot... It, it, it's one of the most, I think it's the most predictable film I've ever encountered. Well, yeah, once you clock that, then it sort of, it changes it a little, doesn't it? I think. The second he's in a wheelchair and can walk as an avatar, it's done. Yeah, correct. <laughs> you know where this is going. No, um, disres- no, that's not a disrespectful statement, but I'm just saying you, you can figure out. And then, so it's maybe not that second, maybe like, oh, right, yeah, cool, cool. And then as soon as he meets... As soon as he meets what is Zoe Saldana, you're like, yeah, okay, bye. Um, I think even without even without a wheelchair, you kind of that world is yeah. yeah appealing, but the wheelchair it? thing is like, why have they done this? And then you see that, and it's like, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, delivers on a grand scale something wonderful and timeless, an old-fashioned adventure told with seamless, groundbreaking technology. The digital world of Pandora is spellbinding. The imagination on display from Cameron and his visual effects team is breathtaking. Uh, Avatar can hold your attention due to its visuals, but you'll find your mind drifting as what you assume is going to happen happens exactly as you thought it would. It's one of the most vivid, visceral movies you've ever seen. It's cheesy enough for 10 Swiss villages. It's James Cameron delivering an action thrill ride at the top of his game. It will transform the way you think about movies forever. They've gone bold there. Um, for Avatar to stand the test of time, what really matters is the story, and here it falls short. Hold your thoughts on that one, because I've got a question that relates to that. Um, 
Like the best of roller coaster rides, Avatar is invigorating and exhilarating. But like all roller coaster rides, that momentary thrill grows more faint the further into the past it recedes. And finally, rewatching it with fresh eyes ten years later, the movie's pluses and mi- <laughs> the movie's pluses and minuses both rise into much starker relief. The verdict is fine. And so this this was my question before we get to the trivia. Is the 3D obviously was the massive thing with this. And I think the thing we all mentioned separately, regardless of any conversation we've had about this, is how the film was going to age watching it without the 3D glasses for a film that was marketed solely due to that. And so as a filmmaker, I wondered how much stock should they have put into that first watch experience? Like, should they base it all on wowing you the first time around? Or in the back of their minds, should they have been thinking, look, you're not going to watch this in 3D every time you see it. Because one of the Jack's messages he was sending me was, there's so many shots here that are just clearly admire all of this 3D for a moment, then we'll carry on. Yeah, true. Um... You're not feeling too chatty today. (laughs) (laughs) What's your thoughts, Keenan? I mean, it depends. At the time, 3D was the next big thing when it was going to be, so if you're going to throw it all in, if you're going to go big on 3D, then yeah, go big on the one watch experience. I mean, at the time, you, you can't say it didn't work, can you? Because it went in, I know it dropped out because of the Avengers and then went back up to the yeah. highest grossing film, but I mean, it shot to the top pretty starkly for a while. So, I mean, they haven't done anything wrong. It's like, uh, no. I think that's like with, with, with anything though, isn't it? Any If we've you know seen through quite a lot of the films, whenever there's like a new a new technique that comes out or a new way of filming or new graphic, then well, whatever film that is, they really want to highlight it as much as they can. Yeah. No, that Was is this that... the first one without the red and blue glasses? <sighs> Ask me, I, I don't recall watching one with it without. And apparently Avatar 2 is going to be the first 3D film where you don't need glasses. So uh, we'll see how that goes. They've been promising that since about 2016. They say it's for release next year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we tried getting me and Jack when we uh, spoke with Garrett Warren because he's kind of on the set. Tried drawing a few bits out of him, but it wasn't having it. I imagine the money it would cost him to reveal anything for Avatar 2 wouldn't have been worth spilling it to either me or Jack. No, I don't think so. But you've got some interesting bits uh, about how it was filmed there, so I'll be able to plug if you go to YouTube. Uh, I've got some trivia then for you. Um, haven't taken too much of the techie things that won't mean a lot to us. Uh, the the Navi language was created entirely from scratch by linguist Dr. Paul R. Frommer. James Cameron hired him to construct a language that would be easy for the actors to pronounce, but would not resemble any human language. He created about a thousand words for them to put together. I don't expect you to know the answer to this, and I might be wrong, but is he not the guy who now technically owns a language? I've no clue, but I'd hope if he if he made it, then he hasn't signed it not, away to James Cameron. Not no, not this. There's a linguist, basically, just like a like an actual ancient language that basically so little people use, and he became like fluent in and deciphering etc. Oh, that like no. he, they basically <laughs> no they're basically like yeah, it's his language now. But I don't know if it's him. No, no clue. I'm afraid. Um, if it gets through to the next round, I'll find that out for you. Cool. Uh, James Cameron originally planned to have the film completed for release in 1999, but at the time, 
the special effects he wanted would inc- have increased the budget to 400 million. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, no studio would fund that, and it was shelved for eight years. Also, I mean, can you think about the stuff that was out in 99? Imagine what that film would have looked like. It would have looked like, like the Blue Dabba D video. Yeah, it, would, like, it still would have been probably revolutionary, probably would have did really well. I mean, <laughs> they might well have made their money back, but like, I just you look at what was about in 99. Like, look yeah. at the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah, the, the stuff there was, was, <laughs> was revolutionary. But imagine trying to do this then. Cameron should have stepped up and directed that video and just got his practice in ready. Mm. Um, Matt Damon and Jake Gyllenhaal were the studio's first choices to play Jake Sully, but James Cameron decided to cast the less-known Sam Worthington in the lead role. Yeah, I think it's a good choice. It is, but... I could see this as very much a Matt Damon film. I get that, but I think he's too big a star. You want to see? I don't know. I don't. I think you lose some of Matt Damon when he comes in and he's ten foot tall and blue. Whereas, <laughs> no, no disrespect <laughs> to Sam Worthington, yeah. you don't lose as you don't lose as much. So, what's your thoughts on Zoe Saldana then? Mm, maybe a name <laughs> somewhere, don't they? But again, uh, I mean, when when was this? This is pre. This is yeah, no, involved just, in the MCU. She's probably she's probably the same, they're probably almost the same same sort I of thing. Just asking if uh, you thought she was worth sacrificing. That was my uh, point there. Uh, James Cameron was convinced that CGI effects had progressed enough to make this film when he saw Gollum in the Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. Fair enough. So there's your inspiration. Um, director James Cameron, known for being tough on set, allegedly kept a nail gun that he would use to nail cell phones that had the misfortune of ringing to a wall above the exit sign. Huh. There's enough in the budget to replace him, at least. You wouldn't be getting those DMs back, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> he's too busy pesting in there. That's why he's being quiet. <laughs> uh, most of the animal noises heard in the movie are recycled dinosaur noises from Jurassic Park, notably the T-Rex and the raptors. I love things like that. There's... Uh... It does make sense, no? I know it's another film that's in the brackets, so nice little link there. Uh, this was the first movie to ever cross the US 2 billion mark worldwide, and later the 2.5 billion mark, making it the highest grossing film in history, as we said. Um, it was dethroned by Avengers Endgame, and then it took over again. Um, Jake's atrophied legs were prosthetics cast from the legs of a real paraplegic. Sam Worthington's real legs were tucked into the wheelchair and digitally removed in post-production. Would you have admired him more if he did a Christian Bale? Just like, starved his legs. <laughs> For the film. Honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth it. I don't know what Sam Worthington's paycheck was, but I don't think atrophy of the legs is worth it. Um, the cigarette that Sigourney Weaver's character smokes is computer-generated. That's when you know you've got too much effects in a film. The budget is too much when rather than just give a character a cigarette to smoke, you add it in post-production. I mean, even don't even have to give them a real one. Even back then, they had fake cigarettes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's actually no need for it. Shrinking Avatar 2, they're all going to have vape pens. <laughs> hate them. Walking behind someone, I was one of them. Really, really does my head in. Um, to help the actors prepare for their roles, director James Cameron took the cast and crew to Hawaii where they spent their days trekking through the forests and jungles and living like tribes, building campfires, eating fish, etc. In order to get a better sense of what it would be like to live and move around in the jungle on Pandora, 
Zoe Saldana even dressed up as a warrior during these journeys, complete with an alien tail symbolic of the one her character has in the movie. This is a little less impressive when I tell you the hikes were only done during the daytime, however, as the cast and crew spent their nights at a Four Seasons hotel. Someone's done them dirty leaking that second part of the story. <laughs> they have. Imagine you stumble in the forest and you've got Zoe Saldana walking around with a tail on. Yeah, you would be shook. Um, to appease 20th Century Fox's fears and remembering the harrowing experience of Titanic and its production overruns and costly delays, James Cameron promised to forego his director's fee if Avatar flopped. 2.5 billion later, you'd, you'd imagine uh, they did definitely pay him his fee. Do you reckon, like after this film, he was basically just the king of the the king of the world, like for a short period? Like some of his films, he must have felt like it. Like, but there must have been a point where wherever he went in Hollywood, every time he took a meeting, anything anyone said to him, the answer was just two point five billion. It's like I imagine the same way for a while. Obama just got away with just repeating that we we got Bin Laden line. Did before this was his peak being an entourage? Dude, James Cameron. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say that. I've seen Entourage. I didn't remember Barack popping up. Um, <laughs> I would. I mean, I would say no. I mean, probably he's made Entourage today. Barack definitely is popping up. Yeah, with Kanye just, or something. Yeah, just pops into a party. <laughs> um, I mean, t- Titanic probably wasn't exactly a small success, was it? <laughs> um. In the original ending of the film, Nate Tyrion's uh, going to go on, sure. I was going to say a bit of trivia as well. Uh, e from Entourage actually auditioned for Avatar. Oh, no. there's, a, there's a story on the, uh, on the Victory podcast, if you, if you listen to it, where he talks about he had to go to Cameron's house and then he had to act out one of the scenes just in his kitchen, apparently. But then obviously, <laughs> he, uh, he obviously didn't get it. Um, oh, yeah. So in the original ending, uh, Natiri is going to be pregnant with Jake's child. Um, I guess you would have known there was a sequel coming there. Um, despite understanding that the Na'vi are not placental mammals, James Cameron insisted from the start that Natiri should have breasts so as to look hot from a human's point of view. Did it work, Sean? Yeah, it does. Despite, as Keenan said, that it's a 10-foot blue alien, uh, you can see the appeal. The uh, first movie to be shot with a 3D camera, as I said, released in 3D and IMAX 3D, and then to be nominated for the Best Picture Academy Award. Uh, the first attack uses a gas called CN20, which is the same gas that the Marines wanted to use in Aliens. So a little link back there to some of Cameron's uh, other work. I think he works on Aliens, if not then. Did Cameron do Aliens as well? I think he did some work. I mean, he didn't direct it, but believe he has to move well, on. Really, really Scott, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Pine and Chris Bra- and Chris Pine and Chris Pratt auditioned for Jake Sully. Chris Pine has said that it was his worst audition ever. Um, Stephen Lang has hinted that Colonel Quaritch could return for a sequel, saying, "You think those two arrows in my chest are going to stop me from coming back? Nothing's over so long as they've got my DNA." So. He wants back for that sequel. I imagine the money in that sequel. Um, <laughs> I had some talking points then, so we've covered the first one. Um, Sean, what is the best ever 3D experience you've had? Was it this film? Probably is, yeah. Um, Not Spy Kids 3D? I don't know if I watched that. Wow. 
Um, I mean, maybe I did. I, I only really remember the first two Spy Kids. Um, <clears throat> so it probably is this. I mean, as you know, I'm not really that big a fan of 3D anyway. But yeah, it'd be this one if I had to pick. I mean, if you go back, Cameron can claim all he wants. They stole the whole plot of Avatar from Spy Kids 3D. Their granddad in this is in a wheelchair. He goes into the video game. He can walk. Doesn't want to leave the video game. This came out in 2003. Is that a coincidence, Keenan? You're on yes. mute if you are yes. talking. No, 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 no. I just had to compose myself for a second. <laughs> 4.3 out of 10 on IMDb, this is. <laughs> what, a Spike is 3D? Yeah. Generous. This was back when um, every 3D advert had the person reaching out of the screen and mm-hmm. people in the cinema leaning back in their seat like they were actually going to be hit by a truck. Ge- generous 4.3, I would say. Have you watched the film? Spike is 3D, the one with Stallone in it. Yeah. Yes, yes, I've seen it. <laughs> what a film. We had this on DVD, 2D and 3D. Came in little red and blue glasses. I disagree. Not that you I had think... it on DVD, though. It's a good film. I think I actually asked uh, the kid that played Junie Cortez for an interview once. Clearly thought he was above us at that point. You should have thought about your love for Spy Kids 3D. Spy Kids 1, class. Floops Fooglies. Mm. You Spy had uh, Samuel Hayek in this as well. Antonio Banderas, of course. Mm-hmm. Great cast. Um, Sean, I don't know if I watched this with you, or, or Keenan, if you watched this. Um did you watch the film Gravity in 3D in IMAX 3D with uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock? No, I've never seen. I've never actually seen Gravity. Not a good film, really. <laughs> but particularly, you can't. You couldn't release a space film around the times of Interstellar without it being compared. And you yeah. also had The Martian around that time as well, so mm-hmm. it was like tough to beat. But it's some of the best 3D I've ever seen. It was incredible, especially on the IMAX. It was so immersive if you could really get lost in it that it's definitely the best 3d i've ever witnessed i also don't know if any of you did you did you go to the uh, at bristol place as a kid yeah yeah they had a thing there where you put 3d glasses on and uh, it was like you you were under the sea and it was that was quite cool and that was way before so they must have had a bit of technology before that and it was probably a bit easier to do Hmm. yeah a throwback that is a good throwback, though. Good trip, that was. I think I told this on a previous podcast that the only reason I wanted to see Life of Pi at the cinema was to see it in 3D. Trusted you to book it, Sean, and get there and you've booked it in 2D. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hate 3D. The whole, this was one of them, after Avatar, this was probably the most hyped 3D film in the way that it was sold. And you took that away from me. <laughs> I do agree with you, agree with you though. I do hate 3D. What is your best 3D experience, though? Uh, when I was a kid, we went, to Disney, we went to Disneyland in Paris and I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> I watched... Uh, they remastered Star Wars Episode One, Sean, and they put that in 3D at uh, the old Gloucester Cinema, where it was... I think that was better for 3D because you were like completely flat. I don't know if you think that makes a difference or not, but uh, my better 3D experiences were certainly in there. And a lot they didn't overdo it. like They didn't make things 3D for the sake of it. But the, the pod race, and I remember the shot of uh, where they almost have the POV shot where they have the kind of 
lightning, whatever you want to call it, electricity in the side of the pod races. But it looked really cool seeing that in 3D. So I did think they'd do all three of them then, but they didn't. I think they also remastered Terminator 2 at one point in 3D, which went down horribly. Mm. So I think there's a lot of shots in there that you could do. There are, but I think the way the graphics were, I just I just recall um, people not saying like there's no need for this. Like I don't know why this has been done. It just it just didn't work. Um, mm. I've got down here that I always get Zoe Saldana confused with Rosario Dawson, which I do up until I clicked on Zoe Saldana's IMDb this week and realised that it wasn't Rosario Dawson. Um, the mineral in this film is called unobtainium. No, we're not going to do the worst hit for you, do you know? Oh, if you have one, I thought you would no, that I... with uh, Spy Kids 3D. Do you have a worse 3D? <laughs> uh, well, I, sure I, ne- I never saw uh, I never saw Spy Kids in 3D. I saw the, the film and I thought it was shocking. Uh, even as a child, I thought it was shocking. Well, that's why you missed out. If you'd had the 3D, then red and blue glasses. I, I just can't see that being true. I went to watch Spy Kids 4 at the cinema um, when I first got the cinema card and I literally watched everything. And uh, they gave you a scratch and sniff card for different parts of the film. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing your young 20s. <laughs> or scratching and sniffing. <laughs> yeah. Um, My actual so, worst 3D yeah. experience, genuinely, I will tell you. And it's all... <clears throat> Mainly because I just felt cheated afterwards. I do. Uh, I don't know if this applies to anyone else, but any time I've watched a film in 3D, I just get a headache. Like, so don't know what it what, is. So your your worst 3D experience no, is no. just everything 3D. No, no. I actually have one specific. <laughs> I have one specific one. Uh, it was the last Harry Potter film I went to watch, and I remember paying. I believe I paid an adults like an adults pricing. Yeah. And I thought. <laughs> I was shook at how much money it cost to be an adult and go to the cinema. And then it being 3D, being more expensive. I sat there for nine, two hours, expecting 3D, expecting 3D. One bit, the bit where Voldemort dies. That was I it. actually don't, yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I, see, I, I recall not much of that being 3D either. I felt fucking cheated by the amount I paid for the ticket, I'll be honest. I, was, I think that was the day 3D died for me, I won't lie to you. What about you, Sean? Or are you going to say every 3D film? <laughs> well, yeah, every 3D film. But um, I'm trying to think, because this might be, I mean, it's up there for one of the worst films ever watched also. But did, did we watch John Carter in 3D? Oh, uh, I've, I've honestly blanked that from my memory. The, the longest, like... I, that felt like the longest film I've ever watched. <laughs> and I feel like that might have been 3D. So that, I it think fits the bill. Been, that's the one I'm probably going to go for. Okay. Yeah, the mineral in this being called unobtainium, I thought was a bit cheesy. Um, James Cameron insists that there are no political messages in this film. It, it's essentially a film about imperialism, isn't it? Like, it couldn't be more political if it tried. Like, they even have comments during it about it being similar to the founding of America and all sorts. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Was it? I mean, was the late two thousands? I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong. This is a genuine question. Was the late two thousands the time to make to make statements about imperialism? I mean, I'm not saying it, it it was or wasn't. Just it seems one of them. Like Cameron went out of his way to say there's nothing political about this, which suggests there definitely was something political about it. Hmm. Or at least Maybe. he was showing his kind of moral standpoint, where he does claim to be the green of the green. 
In 2006, James Cameron described Avatar as a futuristic tale set on a planet 200 years hence, an old-fashioned jungle adventure with an environmental conscience that aspires to a mythic level of storytelling. So he did backtrack, obviously, when he said about the conscience there. Yeah. I don't think you're pulling many people in if IMDb set that as the synopsis. No, not not in the slightest. But, I mean, it's not it's not untrue, is it, at all? No, no. Would you take that or the synopsis for Bridesmaids? <laughs> uh, I'd take the Bridesmaids one, only because this one... It's like, shorter. I don't... I, I don't even know what it's, this means. This this synopsis, <laughs> like it, it, it seems like the, the words are there, but it's not making like a cohesive sentence. So I don't really know what direction they're going in there. Um, the big question here, which obviously will tie into when we get round to the judging, uh, what what is the adventure here to you? Quite literally saving Pandora, or I mean the whole technically sort of the transport and being on another planet sort of thing is is sort of is a fairly big adventure yeah and then like um sam's adventure like just going into pandora and exploring it and then becoming part of Najee and who they are like that's quite an adventure yeah i mean when we <clears> did I, th- I think this probably was off a recording where me and keenan were looking at what kind of makes an adventure film and they were saying about the journey and things like that. So I guess it's as much a journey as him kind of realising that he'd rather be non-human and with this group of people and embracing that way as much as we need to save this planet before he when was coming out. When you, when, you, when you phrase like it's also got big dances with all types. I've not seen that, so I can't... Uh... Great, great film. Worth watching. Yeah, Cameron also said that he wanted to... Uh acknowledge its similarity to the pairing of Jack and Rose from Titanic for the love story between the characters um, in a star-crossed love theme. So, maybe he's calling himself a one-trick pony there. When I was looking at quotes here, um, I literally had only one down. And that was uh, Nasiri saying, I'm with you now, Jake, we're mated for life. And then him in his head saying, what the hell are you doing, Jake? <laughs> it seemed just so out of place with what was supposed to be a really nice moment in the film and to show that he's kind of crossed over. James Cameron showing he can be funny. With with the categories, we always start with rewatchability. Um, I'm not even sure Harper would call this rewatchable. Oh, I imagine he loves this. He no, he he wasn't a, as much of a fan as I thought he'd be. He he was texting me. We watched it. We had it on at the same time, uh, and every twenty minutes or so, I was just getting a message like, "I don't understand these long shots for three D." Well, it was for three D, which is why you're getting these shots. But that was the direction uh, that it went for most of the film while we were watching. I'd. Uh... <clears throat> Well, look, it's not one of the most rewatchable films in the world, but I think I'm, as it always seems to be, I'm on the opposite side as as, as, as you three, I think, and I, I quite like it. I still quite like it. Um, it's a near three-hour film. We're going to judging category. I mean, yeah, I know it, no, it is, but I, I didn't dislike it. I mean, this is, no. I think this is the third... <clears throat> it's probably the third time I've watched it, I think. 
Um, but I haven't watched it. I could watch it again, but yeah, obviously I'm not going to deny I'm not going to watch it again in a couple of weeks. It'll be probably a couple of years, but Does I don't think it mean would it's be... not that rewatchable. Rewatchability, if we're on the scale, and it's a couple of years before you're going to rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. But I think the way you sort of started, I guess, when you talked about Jack's comments is that... Um, you're kind no, of saying, the, that oh. was literally, I think, the only film he's described as not rewatchable was Never Back Down, and that was just to <laughs> yeah. spite me. That was just to spite me. He definitely rewatched that. So, yeah, but, I mean, probably it doesn't have the rewatchability. Um, best moment slash scene, Sean, um, as the number one fan. Uh, what was the be- <laughs> what was the best moment for you? Um, <clears throat> I've got uh, a, a couple uh, that that I'll talk for. I mean, that the I quite like his speech uh, that that he does. I quite like the la- the last fight at the end um, is good. I think the moment he you actually see him turn, it's quite the way when he obviously bashes in the the cameras. Um, but my actual, I think my actual favorite scene is the first, his first like flying and bonding scene, and then, yeah. um, and then when the music kicks in when he starts flying as well, um, yeah, that one's probably my favorite one. If I if I just stick with you briefly, so one that I know we spoke about and one we've brought in as a category for this time around is best opening scene, um, yeah. particularly for this type of film. We thought it was quite important for the way they set it up, and for a film of this runtime they do get to the point quite quickly, a lot quicker than you'd expect. Like, they don't need to give you any flashbacks of just a cheap shot of him maybe jumping on a grenade to save someone to show how brave he is or just him in, like, an army uniform. They are straight to the point. Yeah, This is what's yeah. happened. We've gone to another planet to kind of get these resources. Bang, here's your character. Which, it was surprising. Yeah, I am surprised that there wasn't that like cut scene, you know, where, where it starts and it says like whatever country it is, battle, yeah. and you see him do that, and then it, and then yeah, then it goes to black and and then it starts. Yeah, that, that is quite strange because it just starts with that kind of long shot, doesn't it, of the Pandora landscape, and then yeah, pretty much gets into it. Because um, isn't the next shot then after that landscape is that when he's on the like airstrip? Is that the next? Yeah, then the uh, wait, yeah. Um... Waking up. Basically, they they set the scene and then they go into the whole waking up process and him following around. Yeah. Uh, the chief Keenan for you. Um, who was the best side character? Who? Yeah, who is the best side character for you? If you'll, if you'll, I mean, if you'll let me have it, it's uh, Joey Saldana, isn't it? No. Nah, come on. No. Okay. That's got to be a surely it's the main character. Well, I mean, if if you want it to be, that's fine. But it's why I asked the question. I'm never sure. Yeah, well, I yeah. probably would have gone Dan Keenan's line there, but Thank Sean you. is. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sean, Sean likes the film. Side character is just, and other than the actual, like first on the course sheet, there side character. I think that's. I mean, that's Sean, wrong. if you've got your Avatar T-shirt on, we we won't question what you're saying here. If you say it's a side character, not a side character. You look at the Seth. You know, it's named after Seth Green. You've got. Giovanni, uh, no, it's not. It it's not Giovanni Rabisa. It's not him for me. It'll be Stephen Lang, be the old Colonel. Well, we've got Joey Pants. Mm. Go with uh, Sigourney Weaver in this. That's right. Yeah. No, for me, I I would have said so much of it. For all it for all it is, so much of it is focused on sort of Jake Jake Sully. I said it's him 
Joey Saldana, then sort of everyone else take your pick. But if you want to link him as a two, Sean, and let him be bonded forever, mate, you, you're more than welcome. I'll, I'll ta- Sean, I'll take, Sean definitely I'll take had Mavatar pencil case, didn't he? <laughs> I can't. Believe, oh, I, oh yeah, I take I take the Colonel. I'm going for Norm. I forgot about <laughs> yeah, him. My man from dodgeball. My, Norm's my one as well, and because of dodge, part of it is due to dodgeball as well. Yeah, mine is entirely due to dodgeball. <laughs> I just uh, like that I mean, when it, when a guy is so like one character for me. When I see him <laughs> pop up in other things, it's, it's just so cool. Yeah. If uh, we, we'll save the other categories for when we do the the judging. So I was just gonna one thing. Up now, I was gonna touch on from yep. Avatar. It, it feels like it's in every um action or or war film. There's that scene where he comes in and the and the and the guys was like, "I read your record," and then <laughs> obscure country, whatever it is, that was some mean shit. I pulled your record, Corporal. Venezuela, that was some mean bush. Nothing like this here, though. You got some hard kids showing up in this neighborhood. Figured it's just another hellhole. I was first recon myself. A few years ahead of you. Well, maybe more than a few. Three tours in Nigeria, not a scratch. I come out here, day one. Think I felt like a shaved tail, Louis? And like they say that in, in every war film, it's like, oh, Albania, that was some tough shit. It's like and any any single war film, that kind of line is always in it. Keenan, I saw the work you did in Hester's Way. Really, really <laughs> yeah. impressive stuff. All right, if we go on to then 1993's True Romance, in contrast to avatar i believe i was the only person of all of us that had seen this film going in mm-hmm. and fairly recently actually um which, which made it a bit sweeter so the synopsis here in detroit a lonely pop culture geek marries a cool girl steals cocaine from her pimp and tries to sell it in hollywood meanwhile the owners of the cocaine the mob track them down in an attempt to reclaim it that is how you do a synopsis you give me that synopsis i'm in yeah critics reviews there aren't very many of them what are you expecting positive or negative i feel like i i don't know i feel like if you're asking the question i know it sounds because you normally do ask it i feel like i know yeah but for some reason the way you asked it then it makes me feel like they're not going to be great but what are you thinking sean i don't think they're going to be good no i actually might ask sean to predict the scores again this week before we do them you know he fucking hates that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, it's just for some continuity. I've got a big question for you coming up, Sean, so uh, get yourself Pretty ready. Before, before we do it, how am I going to do that? <laughs> Use some... Because uh... then I'll be motivated to then change my... If you start writing it down, pad and paper. I would... Uh, I don't doubt your integrity, Sean. <laughs> um, here we go then. Gritty, shocking, sexy and violent. Tony Scott's film feels like the perfect union between frenetic action, darkly humorous mayhem, and biting dialogue. That's a hell of a review. Yeah. Wait for this one. Tony Scott's handling of Quentin Tarantino's script came off like the cinematic equivalent of cocaine-flavoured bubblegum, a bright, flavoursome confection that had an intoxicatingly violent kick. 
That's a review. Just as a question, surely you would rather bubblegum flavoured cocaine, right? <laughs> what do you think, Sean? <laughs> I'm not saying it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it. I'm just saying. I don't know. It's, a, it's an odd way of odd way of phrasing that. Jamie, don't have Jack Charles Harper on here. <laughs> this is the best film Quentin Tarantino never made. That's a. Uh... It was a strange like, thing to say, isn't it? Like, I mean, out of the ones he was involved in, it's basically this Dust Till Dawn and Death Bruce and the Grindhouse stuff, right? You're the man for that, Keenan. That's why we have you on here. I think so. I might be wrong. Uh, finally, um, if shoot 'em up gobble down movies like The Fugitive and Jurassic Park are rated PG-13 these days, what does an R-rated action movie look like? Like True Romance, Mile It to a Fault, Glam to the max. I particularly like that because it does call this an adventure film, so I feel a bit vindicated in uh, <laughs> putting it in for selection. Um, also, that's the only time you're going to see true romance in Jurassic Park in the same sentence. So, before we even get into the trivia here, because I didn't take it down as a big thing, uh, this is kind of a cult classic, and the main reason, as you get with most cult classics, is because it didn't sell well. Um, the budget here was about 12 million and they made about 12.2 million at the box office. So all this work for about 200 grand wasn't really worth it to them, but they have produced what most critics and uh, people like when you look at any reviews is as close to a masterpiece as they really could have done with this script. And Tony Scott, who We've always been quite favourable to his films um, on the podcast, Man on Fire probably being uh, the exception as he did get 10 nilled last time around for as much as we liked it. He he does a great job with this and it does show maybe the box office stats do lie when you compare it to, say, uh, Avatar, which a lot more people liked, a lot more people have seen it. But if I'd shown you kind of the, the flocks and flocks of reviews, the average one for Avatar probably would have been a bit more negative than this one, which is a bit shocking when you compare. Different audience, though, I do acknowledge. No, sir. I think it's one, it's, it's one of them you never... Unless it's marketed to sin. Like, obviously, 12 million being the budget, or obviously, 93 was before I was born, but I can't have seen this being something that they would have flogged. That flogged, flogged, flogged the death out of. So there is, well, it made made its money. And one of the things we'll get to after the trivia is how they marketed this because it's very interesting, um, and it looks like they have as much of a clue as I guess as to what you've just asked there. They they thought the same thing. How do we market this? Um, so in a 2011 interview with the American Film Institute, Gary Oldman was asked to name his favorite role. He chose two. Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK, 1991, and Drexel Spivey in this movie. The cast for this film is insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Do you... How do you have Gary Oldman and Brad Pitt and you cut them on screen for less than five minutes combined? I mean, Brad Pitt, this is a serious question, although I actually know Brad Pitt in the like, early 90s when this was made, do you think it would have cost a lot? He he's he's bigger than his billing um, in this. I mean, he's not Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. 
but that was like I say that was just a serious question because I don't like I, I, I like you could have told me yeah he was a superstar and I'd have to go okay cool I, I so wouldn't early I, was reading Pitt, s- I know nothing about I was reading some stuff about this because my first thought is look you've got you've got Brad Pitt here and no disrespect to Christian Slater you would assume you've got Brad Pitt you're saying well we may as well chuck him in the lead role here and it looks like even if you check his IMDb around this time it's like a guy who's trying to pick up his experience. He's getting sent out on loan spells because <laughs> he's basically doing anything he can. He'll take like two minutes in just about any film just to kind of bump things up. He's done Thelma and Louise at this point, so he's not he's not a, a no-namer. And he then he does True Romance, and two years later he's in Seven, and things obviously kick on from there. But it, it is very cool seeing him in this position. And obviously this his role goes on to spawn something else, which I'll get to. Keenan may already know that bit of trivia. I'm not sure. Uh, Quentin Tarantino sold this script for $50,000, which was the minimum amount of money that could be paid for a script at the time. We spoke about this yesterday, didn't we, Keenan? He, when mm-hmm. I did some more reading on it, essentially he had this script and he had the uh, Reservoir Dogs script mm-hmm. and he says to Tony Scott that I'm going to direct one of these I can't really be bothered to do the two of them take whichever one tickles your fancy Tony Scott takes this he takes Reservoir Dogs in hindsight looks like the perfect call if you had to split the two between them yeah well it's, it's an interesting one though when they say when like no disrespect to QT, he's like my second second favourite director ever. It might even be my first. I'm never actually sure on the answer. But it's interesting when they say, like, oh, I'm going to choose two. Because obviously this goes this goes to Miramax as well. Like, yeah. You can say say what you will about Miramax now and the, the, the sort of guy that goes behind it. But it, it, in this era, they do they do a lot. Because they like they were also the guys behind Swingers and stuff. So they, the early, early to midnight is Miramax have fucking huge and they make films that like we talk about now as like some of the greatest films some of the greatest films you, you, you'll see um, but I, like, I always read it as and this is the sort of the story I heard but if you're saying he, he couldn't Rob was basically he was struggling to get a finance because it was like sort of who, who who are you sort of thing and selling selling off this helped him get get the back in for Reservoir Dogs. He certainly used it to fund it. There, there's yeah. no kind of cross the... Yeah, he, 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 sort, he sort of took, took took this, funded it, but I always thought it was because he was struggling to get one, and then when he was adding into the funding for, for Reservoir Dogs, it made things easier. He directs it. They go, they take Reservoir Dogs to Cannes. To Can. They win there. Then Quentin Tarantino is one of, like, him, Doug Lyman. There's yeah. four or five, you can say, in the early 90s are suddenly a hot property off the, off the back of one and then he become, goes on to become Quentin Tarantino and make some unbelievable films. I know you've spoken about his background before and we've made jokes on here about his seemingly willingness to cram the N-word into just about any film he makes. Uh, this um, is my this was one of my nitpicks for this film. Like if we, I know we don't do well, it in this round but if, we, if this somehow beats Avatar like... Well, <laughs> I'll tell you now so he, he named the Sicilian scene as one of his proudest moments. Um, he says, I'd heard that whole speech about the Sicilians a long time ago. 
from a black guy living in my house. One day I was talking with a friend who was Sicilian and I just started telling that speech. And I thought, wow, that is a great scene. I've got to remember that. Now, you've mentioned this on here before, Keenan, and it's his way of essentially doing the, I'm not racist, I have black friends in a bit more of a complex way. But he kind of attests, doesn't he, that he basically grew up around like more black people than white people his whole life and so his his life experiences that he draws from when he's writing mm. is due to a lot of things that he was growing up well so, the, the story of again these all stories i unfortunately and it's a great shame in my life i don't know quentin tarantino i reckon we'd be good pals um, I, I think he's someone you better not knowing because think? i think he would be a dick and i'm <laughs> yeah don't that. meet your hero sort of thing <laughs> what I, I I hope he is, because that's the impression I get of him, and that obviously pays into these characters that he's able to construct. Yeah, but the the story is sort of though again I don't know him. I'm going to sort of make uh, the cast experience his mum, but basically his mum. But when he was a kid, his mum went out with black guys, and he, him loving the cinema and them trying either, either being part of the family the guy she was going out with being part of the family or trying to impress her by being nice to the kid or whatever whatever the crap might be it was the 70s and there was it was the era of black exploitation black exploitation films and that was the that was part of the cinema along with this again with the martial arts films that he then takes from in kill bill and yeah. so on and those were the sort of films he watched and so when he and he loved and obviously the guy went to it he worked, worked in a in a video store and, and shit like and he went from there I know it's, it's not uh, necessarily... Sorry, Sean. <laughs> I was just going to say, as like a slight tangent, the soundtrack has just been buzzing around my... As soon as we moved on to this film, it's just been going around my head all of the time. We'll, we'll get talking. to that soundtrack, don't you worry. <laughs> um, you have also just knocked something out of my head. Ah, um, I was going to say, I know it's, it's, it's not our place to say what is and isn't offensive, but... I don't see too many issues with this scene, and I know it probably gets some more critique today, but it is within what you would expect from this character. The character knows that he's going to die. He's speaking to a Sicilian mobster, and he's saying what he believes to be the most offensive thing at that point, and it obviously is when you see the reaction. Well, it's offensive... Technically, it's offensive. To, technically, it's offensive twice. Like you say, it's done to get a rise. So he thinks he thinks of the thing that the Sicilian guy will find the most offensive. But also, I mean, he's an old old white guy, so he probably thinks it's it's a bad. He obviously thinks it's a bad thing because of the way he chuckles and laughs. But it, it, my my issue with it is there are. I think I think Walken's part and it is great, and how it actually comes together is a fantastic scene. It's one of the best scenes in the film. Well, yeah, he yeah, says it's, it's he great. says it's the most proud. So he says it's his favourite scene that he's ever made. So he I, 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 make it's, it. it's not my favourite scene of his, but, I, but I, I understand it. And like it is great how it comes together. But like the, the content was, you know he's going to kill you anyway, so there's a thousand things that they could have chucked in there. I, I don't know. Well, he, there was part of me who was watching it last night who thought it was there. <laughs> well, he claims a black person told him that story and then he's taken that story and put it into the words... On a white man for the purpose of this film. Yeah, like like I say, I, I understand. I do. I re- I do understand why it's used. But part of me was thinking as I was watching it last night. I was like, is it there? Maybe, maybe because I'd never seen True Romance. I was already of the notion that I was almost waiting for, waiting for it to come. 
something like that, you're, you, you you are almost waiting for it to come. And it's I did tell you beforehand that if you didn't know it was a Tarantino film, you would know. <laughs> I think if, you showed, if you showed me that scene, it was like, who directed that? I reckon I would have got that. Yeah. Um, I, I always like seeing these things about the things that actors take from set. And uh, Tony Scott gave Patricia Arquette the purple Cadillac as a gift after shooting Rat. Awesome. Um, Tarantino said he'd never had a girlfriend at this time of his life. Alabama is essentially his dream girl. Someone that will watch kung fu movies, eat chicken and pie with him, smokes, and has that sexual attraction. So Alabama is uh, the girl of Tarantino's dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Scott <laughs> said when talking about the casting here, he said, we met with Patricia and Christian. No, we met with Patricia and Christian had a woody from the first time he saw her. <laughs> she fell in love with Christian and there really was true romance. Well, I suppose at least when you phrase it like that, it was it it takes it take makes it a lot less creepy a lot quickly. <laughs> had a woody <laughs> picture of those words leaving his mouth is so strange. I mean, yeah. I, it makes it a lot cre- a lot less creepy a lot quickly if she was into it, but Well um, I can make it a little less creepy than that. So Slater said that he and Arquette were both in a relationship at the time and tried to keep it professional, but they were both young. So uh, read between the lines there. Christian Slater laying that pipe, as Sean said the other night. Um, <laughs> the motel room fight scene between Alabama and Virgil, James Gandolfini, took five days to shoot. Um, now, Tom Sizemore, who is one of the... Uh, policeman that is in the kind of final showdown he was supposed to play the role of Virgil and he said he wouldn't be able to film the scene where he's fighting Alabama now not to go too far into that but about a year or so later he's actually arrested on domestic violence charges so maybe it hit a little too close to home for him I don't know but stroke of genius because he says well, look, I've worked with this guy on a film before. James Gandolfini is your man. Tony Scott sees him, brings him in, and he's essentially auditioning for Tony Soprano in this role. Mm-hmm. And so goes on to birth one of the greatest TV characters of all time. All on the chance, all on the chance of a recommendation. Yeah, it's like something. Tom Sizemore, guess what else he starred in, Byron? Now I know because. Um, I've messaged him for an interview recently. It's Saving Private Ryan. Incorrect. He is in that, but that's not where I was going with it. I know what it is because I've literally been on his IMDb today. Um, you're going to have to tell me. He. Yes. It, I've messaged you about him before, I think, when I told you I was going to approach him for an interview. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually referenced Heat in the email. So maybe that charms him, but maybe bringing up his domestic violence charges will go the opposite <laughs> way. So. I mean, maybe. <laughs> so could go either way there um, although this movie was not directed by Tarantino it's still considered part of the Tarantino universe the first clue to this is Lee Donowitz the grandson of Sergeant Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastard which is confirmed by Tarantino uh, the second piece of evidence is that Mr White in Reservoir Dogs mentions working with a girl named Alabama so there you go nice little link up um, Elvis's character is called Mentor in the closing credits so as not to face any litigation from the Presley estate 
they also were going to open the film with um, an Elvis track, but the uh, Pregley estate denied it and wouldn't let them. So that's why you've got kind of the Elvis ripoff in the opening. I don't know why they uh, didn't want that. And you got Elvis being a good little mentor in this film. Um, I don't know. Maybe you don't want to show, far show more offense, uh, Far more offensive uh, uses of the likeness of Elvis. I mean, he's dancing on a turd a couple of years later in the Eminem Without Me video. Yeah, I don't know. I I do. I don't know if uh, Eminem and I don't know. Was that would that have been aftermath or is that his? That was no. That was um, whatever Dre's Eminem company was called. No, no, it was in the record label. Oh, it have been aftermath. Um, By that point, it would have been Dre. Uh, I'm not sure to be honest with you. But even then, that probably the, goes I, against I, it because they didn't have to. Credit him as Elvis, so yeah. works the same way as True Romance. Yeah. Um, Gary Oldman stated in an interview that he would love to do a film on Drexel Spivey, his character in the film. I'd watch it. He he says that he basically got on board for the film before he even knew what he was doing. He said he met with Tony Scott, and Tony Scott was like, "Well, basically, you're going to be playing a pimp that uh, thinks he's black," and he was like, "I'm on board." Yeah. No problem. Count me in. So, what, a fuck, what a fucking guy Gary Oldman is, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, could he be your best side character in this bracket after uh, you might Gordon in the last one? Mm, um, there's some strong contenders in this. I don't actually know if he... I don't... Not a spoiler, but I don't know if he... I, I can't make my mind up whether he wins it in this film or not. Yeah, I was, in, that's what I was going to say. Um, in early versions of the script, the character of Drexel had several more scenes. So many were actually removed and repurposed for Pulp Fiction, for which he was going to star as well. Um, but they were removed from that project as well, so you just get him in this film, but only in a short dose. That's a shame. I mean, there's just footage on a cutting room floor somewhere, yeah. or in a vault somewhere, of Oldman as, as Drexel. Um, as a temporary music track, uh, film editor Tony Ciccone put Outshined by Soundgarden in the scene where Stoner Brad Pitt gives directions to the henchmen. The result was such a hit in the test screenings that a good portion of the music budget then went to obtaining the rights to use in the hit song for the final film. It's weird. Um, like, genuinely, I don't know if it's a, it's a coincidence or whatever it is, but when you look at indie films, right, if you put a lot of your stock in the soundtrack, yeah, it, it just whether, whether it makes it more of a cult film, whether it, but it just seems to work. You just need to make it memorable and stand out. Maybe that's what it is, but if you've got a small budget and you can find four or five good songs that you can get and still come in and do it, that's where the money needs to go. Yeah. Um, something that hasn't aged well. Um, in 2008, Tony Scott did a big kind of uh, history of the film with the uh, Maxim magazine. And he said that he repeatedly slapped Patricia Arquette on set. He did so with her permission and by the end of shooting, she was asking for what they both called the persuader to be able to act in big scenes. I mean, if it worked, I suppose. I mean, it's a bit odd if he's just in front of fucking 50 people. He's just giving her a backhand, but... That's what I mean. Like, that doesn't fly today. No. Um, it wouldn't have flown back then if, it, if they did, if they spoke about it then. They would have said, like, it would be in like, the 1950s. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't. The persuader is is what makes it weird for me. 
Mm. You've been you've been told once, sort of thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's so it's so strange. Um, one for you actually, I thought when I took this down, Keenan. Um, the sunglasses that Christian Slater wears throughout the movie can also be seen on Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. She takes mm. them from Buck after she wakes from her coma and wears them to shield her eyes from the fluorescent hospital lights. Oh, nice. Um, the scene on the roller coaster was filmed over two days. Michael Rappaport, that son of a gun, unfortunately has a fear of roller coasters and suffers from acute motion sickness, facts to which no one knew during the first day's filming. I don't know why it took two days to film a roller coaster shot, but Tony Scott just seems like a madman. But anyway, by the second day, the crew were prepared for this. They gave him something to calm his nerves. Nerves. Uh, we now know that he, they, he basically was loaded up on quaaludes. Uh, when he filmed this the second time around. So if you actually go back and watch the scene, you can tell from which day it's filmed, because for half the shots, he looks just proper nauseous and out of it. And for the for the other ones, he's just completely like blank faced, like completely oblivious to the fact that he's on a roller coaster. <laughs> so yeah, they jacked him up <laughs> for the second day. Um, do you know who the first choice was to play Alabama? Oh, hold on. Hold Not on. Tarantino's first choice. Tony Scott's first choice because they're different. Oh, two seconds. Tarantino's was Joan Cusack, which I, I think is horrible, but ages the film somewhat when i tell you now who tony scott's first choice was and uh it was drew barrymore yeah she fits that so perfectly especially at this time as well if you go back and look at a picture in 93 you could swap the film out and put her in it and she she works it almost expertly you can see it no i get i mean i i think patricia Arquette happens to be she, like, does, she does, in this film. yeah. But I mean, sometimes you see these casting what ifs. Yeah, and, and you like, think we you... spoke about Damon in uh, Avatar, and as much as I can see that, it's not one where I'm like everything about it. But Drew Barrymore in this, it, it fits like a glove. No, I get, that. I get that. Um, one that actually links to uh, a bit of trivia from last season's pod, so. In the 2008 Maxim article, it was revealed that the character of Lee Donowitz, played by Sal Rubinek, was envisioned as a portrayal of producer Joel Silver by director Tony Scott. The two had just worked together on The Last Boy Scout, and Scott hated working with him so much uh, that he's just moulded this character to be Joel Silver. Um, Sal Rubinek doesn't even know who Joel Silver is at the time. Like, they asked him about it he was like I didn't know who that was but he just despised him so much and to people that were there and the people that know them they say he is literally playing a picture perfect Joel Silver is Sol Rubinek that bad? well he, he's a, he's a sleaze ball in this I mean just everything I mean, he's so uh, no, sorry sorry Sol Rubinek my apologies Lee Joel Silver sorry uh, no oh. no like Lee Donowitz the character yeah is he is he that bad? Well, he just he's just a sleaze ball, isn't he? Basically, like he's a bit of a like he's a bit of a dick. Granted, but I mean, if I hated someone, that's well, I not guess the... I guess maybe the point is if it's very accurate, that's probably more offensive than if you do a caricature. Mm, maybe like, because I if you're doing like an top. accurate thing and people are saying what a dick that character is, he's a bit of a dick. But I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know well, when they're talking about. The sequel, the name of the sequel of the film, 
and he just puts a two at the end of it. <laughs> that is so creative. Just nonsense no. like that. The way he dresses, the sunglasses. Okay. It was meant to be offensive, and I'm sure it was. Well, I was just thinking, like, I mean, like if, if you, if you, told, if you made a film and that you gate and like you, if you and I mm. didn't get on, and you, you were like ten years later, Cam, he was like, "That was supposed to be me." I'd be like, "Meh." I don't know. Yeah, don't know. my thing is, if it's close to the bone, then I think it's probably more offensive than if it's the other way around and it's too exaggerated. So but, I, see, I don't know if if they would have made him like a, a proper like a proper horrible per, horrible person, and then yeah. the same stories came out, and they were like, oh, yeah, Joe Silver, and that's still then you would be like, fucking hell, all right, slow down. But I don't know. Fair enough. Um. So the screenplay of this movie was originally part of a 500-page screenplay written by Tarantino and Roger Avery called The Open Road. Um, the other half of it was used for Natural Born Killers, so there's a link there. Mm. Also, that comes out a year later. Um, the word fuck in its derivatives is said 234 times. Liam Neeson turned down the role of Vincenzo Cacotti, uh, Christopher Walken's role. Thank God. <laughs> no disrespect to Neeson this time. But, I mean, Neeson doing uh, doing a Sicilian mobster sound with an with an Irish accent. <laughs> That's terrifying to even think about. But like, like I'm not being funny. If Taken would have been made, if Taken was made in the eighties or, or whenever, and you could have had Crystal walking in fighting shape in it, and you oh. offered me the two, I take walking in Taken. He's, there is actually not something I've seen Crystal walking in that I wasn't like, yeah, he's fucking mint. Yeah. Now, how's this for changing the film? Harvey Weinstein thought that Christian Slater was too good looking to play Clarence, and told Warner Brothers that he would rather have someone like Steve Buscemi play the part. Warner Brothers immediately fired him for this request. Mm. What on earth are you talking about? Get, get off my set. <laughs> He's far too ugly for this role, is essentially what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't see... I don't know what benefit it adds. No, I mean, ask Harvey Weinstein if you can get hold of him. No, thank you. <laughs> He's probably got a bit of time on his hands to answer. Hopefully not. Um, also, Steve Buscemi in this. So if you tell him this story, it's essentially Weinstein trying to bring Buscemi down to his level. Like, look, guys like Christian Slater are too good looking for this role. Like, we need someone like Steve Buscemi here. So he's just taking shots for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one, of, one of the lesser evils of the bloke's life, to be honest. <laughs> um, there are 21 on-screen deaths, all male and all by gunshot. And finally, the whole idea of Pineapple Express came from Judd Apatow seeing Brad Pitt's scene. He wondered what would have happened if Floyd had gone after the Italians. Christ me. Six degrees <laughs> of separation. That's how you get Pineapple Express. That is an adventure in itself. <laughs> um, Sean, the question I have for you, if we can go back to the right at the start of... Uh, this film, when Alabama and uh, Clarence declare their love for each other, she she spills her heart and she says that she's a cool girl, she's 
been in the job four days. She's been with three different guys. Obviously, that wasn't the cut off for Clarence. What's your cut off in that situation? I mean, I think I'm already cut off. <laughs> no, Sean, you got to understand. This is your dream bird. Well, I can picture your dream bird. Uh, I mean, probably two. Two. So three and four days for Clarence. That's too much for you. Yeah, that, that's too much. That's too much. So yeah, I'd probably go for for two. I could I could rationalise two in my mind. Keenan, I don't know what your boss at work is like. Um, he's he's linked you up with Kate Beckinsale here. Um, I mean, I mean he likes me, but he uh, <laughs> I don't think he <laughs> likes me that much. You've both professed your love for each other. She's saying that I've been in this job three and four days. Can you get past that, Kate Beckinsale? Not literally, but it looks like Kate Beckinsale. Oh, sorry. So. I was going to say, if, if that, for Kate Beckinsale, it'd be hard-pressed to say, no, she said it was three or four decades, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let's be fair. Uh, the, my biggest issue with it is, fucking hell, they're married after about 12 hours. <laughs> hey, first, when you, first about when you know, you know. Do you? Christ alive. I'm, I'm not even that sure that one and one equals two. But no, uh, in that scenario, you just you let it run, don't you? Yeah, it's the same as you do with Patricia Arquette. Oh, I'm, I'm just surprised Sean's pretending here. Oh, I know, but he's, people will hear this, won't he? So he has to pretend he's, got, <laughs> so he, he, pretend he's a nice guy. I think he's been... It, look, if, if Sean thinks this is bad, when he's on the prowl at the end of Freshers' Week, <laughs> he wants to have a look at what he's linking up with. Three and four days, he might have been lucky. <laughs> Um, so as we said before, this did horribly at the box office. Um, the, the way they sold this must have just been completely wrong. I don't know if... Do you think the name True Romance, do you think you've already cut a portion of the audience off there? Because you don't take this film from the name True Romance. No. Like, this isn't a hot tub time machine. Like, you're not literally getting what you say, what it says on the tin here. Although, shout out to a link between the two films. It's another film where the title is referenced in the film. Yeah. She says right at the start, I would never would have linked never would have linked Detroit and True Romance. So there's just seems like there's so much to push. Like the car is a big thing. Like I mean, surely when you drop the trailer, you just you just drop Gary Oldman, Christopher Walken. Yeah, um, that seems to me, yeah, you do I go expendable style. Like you don't even need like to say much of the film here, just show everyone you've got in it. Yeah, starring show the and, car. And, and and Dennis Hopper's in it, man. Yeah, show the car, get this soundtrack over the top of it. You should be golden. You didn't need this voiceover chap who got like decades worth of work doing trailers every other day. They should have got their creative boots on and really pushed this because it's crazy. But it wasn't. It didn't blow up. Immediately, it's one of them that's definitely found a home now. But I don't, I think it, I, I wonder if this is that good a film. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I wonder if it's that good a film that if it wasn't connected to Tarantino, do we, are we, we're, we're not, I don't think we're talking about it now. Depends you know, if we col- find, it depends if we find it, but you, you also don't get this dialogue unless Tarantino's involved. So it kind of one negates the other. 
No, it's a fair point. That is a very fair point. I will give you that. It just seems like if if me and you um, are the marketing department for this film, you it's almost like you've got a gold mine here because you've got a soundtrack that sticks in your head, as Sean's referenced and we referenced all week before we've done this podcast. You've got a pink Cadillac, which should be all over the trailer. You've got a cast that has the name brand quality to, that should already be putting, putting people in seats. You've got a good-looking guy. You've got a good-looking uh, woman as the two leads. And you've essentially got Drugs on the Run, which has been a foolproof formula. Mobsters chasing after to see if you catch them, basically. That's been dynamite since the beginning of time. I don't know how they didn't have all of those ingredients and not make it work. It's, it's just baffling. You also chucked Tony Scott in there as well. Yeah, they don't even mention that it's drugs in the trailer, by the way. They say uh, something along the lines of uh, they pick up something they shouldn't, or they say a suitcase that wasn't theirs. I don't know how they could have done I mean, by this point, mind, like I say Tony Scott, he's done Top Gun, he's done Beverly Hills Cop, He's done Days of Thunder and he's done The Last Boy Scout. Yeah. Plus others, but that's just from the highlight reel. Like, he must have been pretty fucking untouchable at this point. Um, even kind of taking into account everything we said, like, the film just kind of blows off the screen. Like, the colours and everything is so, like, in your face and vibrant. Uh, it, it just... If one of them, once I've seen it, I did think, well, how have I never seen this before? And I guess they've not continued the marketing well after after the fact either. Um, I'll tell you one thing that really did get me, and I do really like the opening, her coming into the cinema and having that chat, but I was so put off in that scene by how loud they're talking in the cinema. It genuinely <laughs> really got to me because... For one, I know they say that it's like 11 o'clock at night, they're watching a Kung Fu triple bill, so you're not expecting it to be sold out. In any cinema in the world, you're talking this loud, someone is telling you to shut up. <laughs> the disrespect to be talking this loud to begin with. Yeah, it does, would, would ruin the experience, to be fair. That being said, for all of my cinema etiquette, if Patricia Arquette looking like that does come and sit by me and wants to speak with that volume, yeah, I'm I'll not, not going to be the one to tell her, her to be quiet. I, I don't like throwing people under the bus, but you you are maybe the second loudest speaker I've been around at the cinema, Keenan, as well. So you perhaps don't feel the same here. You and Alex. He, Sean, I can tell you, he's not quite Alex bad, but he's bad. What happened, <laughs> what happened once and I was half cut? No, no. It happened during Bad, bad Mums 2. <laughs> fucking yeah but that's that's another outlier <laughs> to be fair on the basis that that is one of the worst films I've ever watched I mean your cinema etiquette you sat on my coke I mean you threw that at me <laughs> in, in, the, in the holster well it was on my seat wasn't it <laughs> it was after you'd sat on it well I mean look always got to, always got to play the blame game yeah just own your mistakes I mean, if someone sits on your coat, I don't see how the blame gets proportioned any other way. Um, you and I, look, you and I have very different versions of events there. I remember what? you coming for me for no reason. 
this film could have been very different. If I tell you that there was an alternate ending, which was Quentin Tarantino's original ending to the script, uh, Clarence dies from the gunshot. Um, Alabama leaves alone with the money, and she's then shown driving to Mexico alone. Not only that, she then delivers a, a narrative monologue where she essentially says she never cared about Clarence. She just used him to get away from Drexel and get the money from the drugs. How much does that change the film if essentially you find out that the romance was a lie? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It gives a bit, a bit more weight to the name True Romance. Well, Tony Scott just took the executive decision. He says, I just fell in love with these characters so much, I didn't want to see them die. Mm. The one who makes the big mistake for me, Rappaport. I don't think he needs to throw that suitcase. He doesn't, but who, whoever would have thought Rappaport would be making the good decisions? <laughs> the name Clarence as well. I couldn't get past. It always reminded me of that. Clarence. How can you criticise the name Clarence when you've got a name Alabama alongside? <laughs> no, it wasn't criticising it. I was just saying it. It, it reminds me of. Uh, I was just thinking of that that scene in Eight Mile where he's like, and Clarence's <laughs> parents have a really really good marriage. Whatever the line was. He's not a gangster. His real name's Clarence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, should Clarence <laughs> just, uh, reminded me of? Should Clarence have hit a roll tide at some point in this film, Sean? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a big miss, that. It is. Um, the, the themes of this, I mean, romance, obviously the big one here. What I thought was interesting is they they build this in uh, all of the uh, kind of taglines of the film about these being like two pure-hearted people and it being about good versus evil and all of this. In another film, these two could easily be the bad guys. Like, they're I, not will say, I will say Clarence jumps to murder Real quick. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. What it is. I, don't, I know he's in love with his years. I love of my life. But I mean, he jumps to murder real fast. They actually don't. I know, obviously, for the purpose of the film. But I mean, in, if you take away, like the two of them, are, uh, she's gotten away fairly cleanly. Like it, they've gotten married. She's been in that house for a while. They've actually gotten away quite cleanly. Yeah. The fact that he kills him and then steals the drugs, obviously being the proponent of the film, but yeah, I mean, you could just like, yeah, but you could just be like, hmm, don't know, should we try to slip away somewhere? Try, yeah. try and do something else. A bit of a not nitpick for me, but it's just like I, I don't see why why he gets shot in the eye. Like it just seems unnecessary, like an unnecessary complication. Like <laughs> just shoot him in the chest. Was it to give him an eye patch? I don't know, but he's escaping to live in Mexico. There's definitely going to be complications with that. Oh. I mean, they've got the money. They've got the money for healthcare, but they're on the run. They've just been involved in the shooting of the policeman. Well, they seem to get away fairly cleanly. Well, he's, he's the also, I mean, eyes. He has to get maimed in the process. Is the Not he's pissing with blood down his face. He walks past four coppers and two two <laughs> paramedics. Not what? Not one of them thinks. Fucking hell, he's a bit hurt, isn't he? Not they, were one of looking at, they were too busy looking at Alabama. Well, maybe, but... I mean, that pink caddy. It's purple. Is it purple, no? You may be right, yeah. I just... I mean, you've referenced it as pink. Saying pink. Yeah, you've taken some of my credibility away there, but we'll let it slide. Oh. Oh. Not like you to come for me for nothing, is it? So it's nice to be able to return a favour. Do I ever 
Thanks for keeping Sean. Fucking hell. <laughs> Christ alive. Does the sun rise? I think it's, it, it's a pinky purple. <laughs> I mean, it's not, but okay. I'm looking at a picture right now. Not I a mean, deal that I'm also looking at the trivia director, Tony Scott gave Patricia Arquette the purple Cadillac. But <laughs> they, they missed out that it's a pinky purple Cadillac. Um, I mean, for me, that's just purple, but whatever, whatever you need to say to make yourself feel better. Alabama and that ruthless streak. What did you think of the fight scene with um, Virgil, a.k.a. James Gandolfini, a.k.a. Tony Soprano? Because it's Big. longer than your usual fight scene of that. She essentially gets the shit kicked out of her for five minutes and then kills him. Oh, it's poor. Uh, yeah, I am. But poor planning from Virgil. He actually says, <laughs> at this point, I just kill people to watch their expression change. Right? He's got two guns. Don't, he says, I'll let you take the first shot. Yeah, ridiculous. Gonna do it, just do it. Just get rid of it. <laughs> and even afterwards, she stabs him. After after she stabs him, he launches her into the bathroom. At that point, go and grab a gun and shoot her. Don't None of this messed around with the glass in the shower and letting her launch shampoo in your eyes. Just go and grab a gun and shoot her. That speech he does um, is is unbelievable. In a in a see, in a film of great speeches, his one about the first time is yeah. the hardest. So good. He may be the most menacing in the film. In a film where Christopher Walken has some unbelievable lines, which we'll get to. But yeah, in another film, these two could easily have been the bad guys. Also oh, shows that Tarantino hasn't. It's like. Kill Bill wasn't a new thing to him. Like he's had women that can quite easily kind of take these guys out way ahead of time, just with a top of a toilet on this occasion. Um, Keaton, rewatchability on this one: uh, one hour fifty nine minutes long, and that's with the extended cut. I'd watch what, this what do again. You think? I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. Like I say, it's the first time I'd ever seen it. Um. Yeah, I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. In fact, I, I will definitely watch it again. I don't actually think I've asked you particularly, Sean. What were your overall thoughts? Um, yeah, strange one. I kind of went back and forth. As we touched on, I was probably watching it at the wrong time with the sense it was Super League and Mourinho being sacked. It was all as I, as I was watching it. Um, but I think I... It's one of those films where I like I like some of the characters and I like certain scenes, but I don't like the overall film. Like I wouldn't go, I wouldn't be rushing to watch it again. I wasn't really invested in the storyline, um, but there are moments that I like about it. There are things that I like about it. it. I think I liked it just as much the second time as I did the first. And there was a point where I was doubting myself before I put it on, because I'd only seen it the once. And obviously, opening episode of the season three you want other a good film to get into so i was a little nervous but no it won me over straight away the opening scene i love the opening sequence and that soundtrack just as soon as i heard that the first time i was all in again um keenan before we get to the the judging i'll ask you in, in a in a film of great side characters who is your favorite <laughs> Um, 
God, I'm it's a hard question, isn't it? See, I had it in my head last night. It was walking. No no questions asked after watching the film. Yeah. All right, and now you've... Then, as we've been talking about, I've been thinking it could it could be Gary Oldman. I think he's fantastic as he's in it. And then I, I think you've now spun me, and I think you're right. I think the answer is James Gandolfini. Do you, do you think um, Gary Oldman's part is small enough to be uh, in the Rex Ryan? Well, I mean, it's one scene, right? He, yeah, I think it's like it's under five minutes of runtime. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's technically one. It's. I mean, it's, it's. It's one scene or one sort of scenic thing. It, it. It's obviously changes, but I would say it's one scene. If you, I wouldn't say no. If you want to say it's, it's almost a cameo. But do we? Is it too long for a cameo? I, I don't know. But as it is one scene, I would say I'd. Gi- I'd give it to you. Yeah, we've we've also got Samuel L. Jackson in the same scene. He's got twenty seconds of screen time, and in that. He's called Big Don, and he says, "I hate the pussy, I hate the butt, I hate every motherfucking thing." If that doesn't get you in the Rex Ryan, twenty seconds, Big Don, Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know what will get you in if that's if that doesn't. Oh no, shit! It means uh, Drax is in two scenes because he shoots. Think, the, yeah, he, shoot, he, yeah, he yeah. shoots those two, and then he goes back. You yeah. get you get introdu- introduced to him, don't you? Yeah, he thinks it's going to be a white boy day, as he mm. says. <laughs> Um, Sean, I mean, we usually do keep you the adjudicator for these things. Um, you've, you've got two nominations there. How many of those get in? If you're talking, we can't hear you. What? What did you say? What have you been doing? He didn't mention my name specifically, so I yeah, put you. Did. I mean, he said, Sean, we usually keep <laughs> you as the adjudicators, these sorts of things. Uh, I only heard the adjudicator bit. Um, what you been doing? Tell us what you tell us what you're doing. <laughs> I heard you put something down in a hurry. <laughs> I think uh, I'd probably go for Gandalfini is 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 in. Yeah, I said it's only is it essentially. Uh, no, sorry. Well, um, you're embarrassing yourself because we're not even talking about Gandalfini. We're talking about Samuel L. Jackson and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, that's that's who I meant. Gary Oldman, yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson definitely as well. They're both uh, both enshrined in the in the Rex Ryan Hall of Fame. Uh, we, only had, <laughs> we only had six entrants from the last bracket, and that included the Christmas episodes. <laughs> it's still, uh, it's still amazing that the cardboard cutout of Michael Jordan is, is in there. That's what I'm looking at as as we're speaking, and uh, Anthony <laughs> Anthony Kiedis from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Richard <laughs> Branson from One Second of Casino Royale. <laughs> um, Can we? Uh... Do we put um, Trump in for Home Alone as well? We didn't do Home Alone 2. Oh, he's only in 2, that's it, yeah. Yes. Um, We we do have some great quotes in this just before we get to the judging. Um, Clarence saying, if there's one thing this last week has taught me, it's better to have a gun and not need it than to need a gun and not have it. (laughs) Very fair in that situation. Um. Christopher Walken, I think this is my favourite quote of the film. Uh, I'm the Antichrist. You got me in a vendetta kind of mood. I give up. Who are you? The Antichrist. You got me in a vendetta kind of mood. You tell the angels in heaven you've never seen evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as counsel for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle. The man your son stole from. 
I hear you were once a cop, so I can assume you've heard of us before. Am I correct? I've heard of Blue Lou Boyle. I'm glad. Hopefully, that will clear up the handful of shit on my question you've been asking yourself. We're going to have a little Q&A. And at the risk of sounding redundant, please, make your answers genuine. I think that's the best quote in the film. We... I don't know why we didn't get more walk and rolls like this. Like, can they just redo Click and just have Walken as this character? He's well, just I mean, threatening. He, he's just he's threatening done, um, Sandler every time he tries taking the remote back. <laughs> by, by this, by this point, I mean he's done King of New York, and he's on Deer Hunter. Yeah, so I, I mean, he had, when when he sort of, I don't really say he had his time, but I mean there was a time where he did do more of this. Um, I've just always gives... missed out. Yeah, I mean, you you're always going to miss out because he's just ridiculous. He's just incredible. Um, Imagine wedding crashes. If at the head of the family is just this guy, he gets yeah. there and he, he's got Vince Vaughn when it's when he thinks he's uh, trying to come between uh, his daughter, his daughter, his daughter's. Uh, so I'm the Antichrist, and he got me in a vendetta on the mood. That's quite unbelievable. Like... Uh, quote wise quite like live fast die young and leave a good looking corpse great quote piss poor life advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, and Samuel L. Jackson's quote as well which I, I won't read out but well we have read that out and it just shows how far how long you were away for I don't know, <laughs> what were you doing <laughs> he let himself down today hasn't he Keen? and he's let himself down and he's let us down hmm. um you just said you love me, and if I say I love you and just throw caution to the wind and let the chips fall where they may, you're lying to me, I'm going to fucking die. Clarence, balls on the table. Yeah, let's, let's do it. It is literally do or die. Um, slightly different, but I did like the fact that the film started with him saying, look, I'm not saying I have to, but if you had a gun to my, <laughs> gun to my head, if I had to fuck a guy, I'd fuck Elvis. I was going to ask Sean. I was going to ask Sean, who's your guy in that situation? John Stamos. <laughs> John Stamos <laughs> I asked Keenan that last night and he said Macca was the first name that came to mind <laughs> Macca do you mean Steve McManaman <laughs> <laughs> is that who you're referring to that reason <laughs> fucking hell mate I swear to god that is awful that sound I'm not, the, I'm not the one trying to put the pipe in Macca. I mean, if I had to pick one of the Spice Boys, it'd be Jamie Redknapp for a start. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's, let's not get it twisted. It would, you'd, obviously, you'd obviously take Redknapp. Even after the disloyalty he's shown this week. Um, Clarence, I said, do I look like a beautiful blonde with big tits and an ass that tastes like French vanilla ice cream? Drexel? See, if I asked you if I wanted some dinner and you grabbed an egg roll and started to chow down, I'd say to myself. See, if I asked if you want some dinner and you grabbed the egg roll and started to chow down, I'd say to myself, this motherfucker, he's carrying on like he ain't got a care in the world. And who knows? Maybe he don't. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. He don't got to worry about nothing. He just sit down watch my motherfucking TV. See? <laughs> You ain't even sat down yet. And that TV over there, since you've been in the room, is a room where the breasts is hanging out. You ain't even bothered to look. 
You've just been clacking me. I know I'm pretty. But I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. <laughs> great quote. It is a great quote. I will give you that. Oldman maxes out his time in this. He couldn't have done any more with his time in this film. No, I agree. I'm also, annoyed. I am like genuinely annoyed. I've thought about it about six times since you said it earlier, but that there's more footage of him. Yeah. That's just not anywhere. I, 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 I understand in the process of editing, there are prob- probably every film that we've done that I have enjoyed. You can give me an example of, of a character that they cut scenes away, but most of the time I don't get, I, I won't, won't know about it, but that, I don't know. I think if I just had, if I had, to, if I was editing it now and I had the chance, because you, I mean, presumably you've already paid him. Like, I do, yeah. it's not a joy. You've paid him to be in the film. It's not going to be. I can't see there being a weird thing where it's he ain't getting paid by the by the minute or how long he's in the film. So if they've agreed the deal and he's paid and they've paid him, just yeah. put just put the <laughs> scenes in. And they've done a di- they've done a director's cut and they didn't want to yeah. throw it back in. Uh-huh. I no. bet you enjoyed Clarence saying beers all I ever eat. Yeah, I did. I did. Great guy. Don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> I, I did also enjoy uh, <coughs> I didn't get you any chicken. Oh, son <laughs> of a bitch. His, his dad saying she does taste like a peach. Mm. He's yeah. going to watch himself. Well, I mean, not for very long, let's be honest. <laughs> he was iced about 12 hours later. <laughs> What, what do you think about uh, Alabama defending itself? I've been a call girl for exactly four days and you're my third customer. Oh, there you go, Sean. There's only two before. <laughs> I want you to know that I'm not damaged goods. I'm not what they call Florida white trash. I'm a good so, person when it comes to relationships. I'm 100% monogamous. It was a good very random you. one just to flow, throw in uh, the Florida white trash thing. Well, when she said, what turn-offs? <laughs> and she said, Persians. It's like, okay. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. um, she was shook when filming that. So they did a load of takes, and she just kept naming different races. But um, in the script, it did say Persians, which is what they decided to go with in the end. Yeah. Well, again, it's Tarantino for you, I suppose. Yeah. It's not, not afraid to push an envelope. Um, shall we get into the judging? Yeah. All right, Sean, we will go to you first. Yeah. Which film did you prefer? I preferred Avatar. Keenan, which film did you prefer? True Romance. I'm with you there too. Sean, which Is film Har- do you think... Sorry. I was, I was wondering, I didn't know if Harper had... had he hasn't seen True Romance. Ah, okay, got you. And he didn't like Avatar, so it would have been a <laughs> rough week. <laughs> um, Sean, which did you think was more rewatchable? Uh, I've got Avatar. Keenan? True Romance. I'm with you there too. I actually think that's a despicable claim by Sean there. All two <laughs> hours and 42 minutes of <laughs> Pocahontas in space. To quote Thank Keenan. you. Um, Keenan, what was the best moment slash scene for you? It belongs to True Romance, but you can take any one of the final shootout Gandolfini's scene, Christopher Walken's scene, or Gary Oldman. Uh, Sean, what about you? 
romance. Yeah, true romance as well. Um, but the, Chris, the Christopher Walken Sicilian scene. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement there. Um, Sean, best quote for you? Best quote, true romance as well. Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, yeah, or, uh, <laughs> or the leave a good-looking corpse. Well, what about you, Keenan? It's the, you've never seen, you'll tell the angels that you've never seen evil so personified. And mine in similar fashion is, uh, you got me in a vendetta kind of mood, so uh, same little passage. Hmm. Um, who's your MVP, Keenan? Clarence. Sean? Sally. And mine's Alabama. Um, Okay. She takes that. She takes that James Gandalf beanie. She doesn't get shot in the eye. <laughs> You're really hung up on this eye thing, aren't you? <laughs> well, and what you see, Keenan, my stance with uh, MVP is you can't be MVP if you've been shot in the eye. <laughs> so my pick here is actually going to be uh, Clarence. That's how Sean would have gone about that. Yeah. Alabama is uh, my pick there. Um. Keenan, best side character. I, 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 I still don't know, but I'm going to need one. Oh yeah, I understand that, but I still, I, just, I still don't know. I will give it to James Gandolfini, as that's where I've landed most recently. Sean, I've, I've, sorry, I've, I've got it listed in different uh, order, but uh, I've, uh, I've actually written down when I did the awards, Michael Rappaport. Okay. Okay. Um. Bit of trivia. Did you know? I don't. We didn't touch on it, but uh, I saw when I was watching it on Prime that he's got motion sickness and can't do world skating. <laughs> Where the fuck have you been, Sean? Are you <laughs> are you being he's, serious? He's, he's taking the fish, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm winding you up on that one. Thanks, Fox, uh, for that. But are yeah, you actually, Michael, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, Michael Keenan, do you think he is or do you think he's covering himself now <laughs> it, I, I, I'm going to believe that he has, is doing that to annoy you because we had like a full blown conversation for that <laughs> might be on the Quaaludes yeah. he's my best side character um, mine's walking but there was a car I didn't, I didn't really like the policeman <laughs> them, them screaming at him in the lift when he's got a gun to his head saying yeah. you're an actor act motherfucker act <laughs> And look, they're the one with the gun to their head. He's bluffing you. He's bluffing you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, Keenan, difficulty yes, of adventure. Avatar. Sean, difficulty Avatar. of adventure. Avatar. How do you think Avatar goes if Jake Sully goes in Still with, a big bag of coke with the briefcase full of coke? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fucking great party on that planet. <laughs> if if they if they if they had a couple of bits of business from that suitcase right before that final scene, that that it's a wrap. Well, it, it, it was quite a few wraps. There was quite a few wraps in that in that suitcase, mate. <laughs> Drug humour. You don't get that in uh, <laughs> other podcasts. More serious pods. We can do it all. Um. Sean, which do you think had the more visual appeal? Uh, Avatar as well. Keenan? Yes, it's the same answer. I do agree, 
I do think True Romance would have beaten out a lot of other uh, competitions. It has its own. It has its own appeal, but everything I mean, in it is just so like popping off the screen. Yeah, it's certainly got its own appeal, like the way LA shot when they get her and stuff. Yeah, no, no doubt. But like, I mean, the fact that Clarence is supposed to be kind of so so bummy doesn't have anything. It's like, how does he have a purple Cadillac? <laughs> Never mentioned. Um, but. Like uh, yeah, I just think the way it's shot is is great, but I mean Avatar is. Yeah, uh, Tarantino prof- does say if, if he does this film, it's a lot darker. Like, yeah, it's it's not this kind of happy go lucky. Sean, best soundtrack. Well, this yeah, pro- probably the easiest category for me is True Romance, and um, it, it probably one of the best ever. Uh, I can think of that we that definitely we've done in a bracket for the yeah you know, how, um, how it is and the fact that it's in our heads the whole week. Yeah, I mean we've still got another thirty films to do in the first round. Um, if you were pricing up for Byron's buckets, um, what what odds would you be expecting on True Romance to be winning Best Soundtrack come September the first? I mean the well the the thing for me is that. There is also a, another film and another particular song that I would probably vote for above this. You've got so, some serious soundtracks in this in this bracket. And there are I, the theme I, songs. I assume, great I assume Sean is talking about that shit from King Arthur. <laughs> he is. He is, isn't he? And I didn't want to call it shit because I did not that I think it's bad, but I couldn't remember what it was called. So that, that is what I'm. That is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I thought. It uh, what about Twist and Shout in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Well, it's, it's a stacked card. It, it is. Um, yeah, that, I, I, do, I do quite like the Jurassic Park theme as well. Yeah, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith is good as well. The irony of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off being about him driving has just become even more striking. Uh, let's not sleep on the Space Jam theme, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to rewatch Space Jam, I've got to be honest. Oh, unbelievable. That's uh, week eight. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Um, if we carry on then. So, Sean, originality. Avatar. Keenan? I actually gave us a true romance. Uh, I've gone for Avatar, I think. Just Conce- the, the way it's filmed, etc., etc., but as a, as a concept or as a plot, it's a true, true romance. But I won't argue either way, but no. the, maybe... Yeah, maybe I looked at this the wrong way this week. I, I don't think you could have given it most original after calling it uh, Pocahontas in space. There, um, there is that, but though for what for <laughs> what it achieves and for the technology use of technology and so on. I mean, like we I've said earlier about the CGI being revolutionary. I won't argue, but yeah, I mean as a plotline, it is basically just Pocahontas in space. Sean said uh, the soundtrack question was obvious. Um, do you feel the same about biggest impact, Sean? Yeah, yeah, Avatar. Keenan, I assume, <laughs> you're not making the case any different? The answer is Avatar, but this is a film... The <clears throat> True Romance, strangely, I'd never seen it because of my love for Tarantino. It put me off in case I didn't like it. But as for me, as an actual individual, True Romance, for what it leads to in terms of... is is, is an impact... is a, one of the most impactful films I can say I've seen in, on the basis that it leads to three of my ten favourite films. What's what's a shame in this is um, both Patricia Arquette and Christian Slater 
screw themselves, or however you want to call it, straight out of this. They, they certainly, neither of them capitalise on the success they should have had from this film because they both go on whether they had them at the time to have numerous issues with drink and uh, other substances. So I mean, also part, the, film... like, the next seven, eight years of their of their life when they should have been stars after this. They should have been, but I mean, the film was the, the film was not as we've as we've said a few times. The film didn't do that well, so I don't know if the star would would, would have would have risen as high as it should have. I mean, off the back usually of the performance, performance though, he, he even comes in even if it doesn't do the box office. Like I agree, but if no one's seen the fucking thing, then no one can rate the performance. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it, I agree. You know, people in the business have seen it. Well, I I I do agree. You'd think that. Patricia Arquette, because Christian Slate was probably more famous. I don't know this before yeah, my time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he takes that massive gap, um, and then he goes on to do uh, Mr. Robot, which is loved. It's it's got so many awards. I've watched is that the, the first thing with Rami. Is that the thing with Rami Malek? Yeah, I watched the first season of it in a day, while Jesus. not while while not being not particularly enjoying it. Um, I mean, it's easy to say now. I've changed jobs. It was during a work home day um, I just had I just had it on in the background um it was right it was right around Christmas so I had it on um it's on Prime I believe mm. and I, I stuck with it because you know you, when you just told something's good you know like, oh, it'll kind of hook me at some point soon <laughs> it didn't didn't bother mm. season two um no, that's fair Sean if we uh, go back to you again uh best opening scene uh I found this one quite tough I didn't really didn't think either would particularly stood out but I've gone for Avatar but could have gone either like the Elvis conversation didn't take you a gooch what about you Keenan I went for Avatar as well I've gone for True Romance uh, also more of an Elvis fan than the pair of you hey I love Elvis well, I do like Elvis but as I've said before Gareth Gates suspicious minds wow Jesus Christ, man. Keenan, best ending? True romance. Sean? Avatar. It's true romance to me. Bullet in the eye aside. I like the whole shootout. And uh, can't go wrong with a little uh, monologue and ending it on the beach. The amount of films mm. that end escaping to a Mexican beach. There should be no space left. And finally, Keenan, chemistry. Oh, true romance. Sean? Avatar for uh, Sam Worthington and Zoe Zaldana. It's, it's true romance for me. Just tally up. So it was 9-5 to true romance. Sheesh. Oh. Another one seed sees the dust. Yeah, it was, it was a not so early, but it was rough for... Um, the top seeds in the last tournament as well, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Just uh, fill this out, just to keep us on track, and then I'll uh, haven't quite um, perfected. I know we got into it a bit a little later with um, the categories for next time. So all I'll ask is, um, real star of the film for Avatar, I think, is quite clear with it being uh, Sam Worthington for True Romance, star of the film. Is it? Patricia Arquette, Christian Slater, or is it one of the side characters? I think the real star is is Patricia Arquette. Yeah, Alabama. I agree. Um, 
some of the stuff you, you, you see after with this, I don't think she gets the, the credit for being the dime she is in this. No, unbelievable. Fair. They actually missed a lot out. Um, this may come in more with uh, what you said about the scenes you missed out before. Um, Tony Scott did actually shoot a few uh, nude scenes with Patricia Arquette in this, and uh, in the main cut, chose not to include them. Sounds like it might just be for his benefit. The one in the uncut where you don't see much, but it's there. So maybe that was just him for him to say, no, it was for a reason. And he slaps her for the eighth time. <laughs> um, recasting one role. Um, do you take anyone out of Avatar, Sean? Um, put our guy, Justin Long, in Norm's role. Like for like, dodgeball to dodgeball. Okay, okay. But no, no, I wouldn't pass the the main characters, I don't think. What about you, Keenan? No, like I said earlier, we said about Damon and General. I think Sam Worthington was a was a really good choice, and I think it's the same for Zoe Saldana. Would you change anyone for True Romance, Keenan? I don't think so. I, re- I really, I really don't like those. The, the, the side characters are just fucking. It's just a, it's just a kill, like a murderous Rona of like. I who, think who. if I was going to change anyone, I think. It's going to be Christian would, Slater, isn't it? No, no. I think I no? would pick a buddy cop pairing for the two that we've got. They're good, but if Chris I Penn. was being say Chris Penn up, I don't know. Disrespect. Well, I'm I'm just in the uh, way we do these. I would go for quite a prominent double pairing, so not realistic in that sense. I'm talking like we're going to put Owen, Owen, Owen and back in there. And, yes. So, someone along those lines. Um, if the cast swapped, which film works best? It's Avatar. Imagine that true romance cast in Avatar. <laughs> Christopher Walken Avatar sounds unbelievable and terrifying. Gary, no, surely Chris, Christopher Walken would go and play the Colonel for me. I, don't, I want Christopher Walken's kind of classic talking, but in the Avatar language. <laughs> Still waiting for Keenan's Christopher Walken impression. Well, true romance has gone through, so we get a chance to do it all again. Yeah, I've tasked him, Sean, with uh, getting a Bane impression ready. I said he's got plenty of time. <laughs> we'll choose two more actors for next week to do the if you add one to one movie and one to the other. And we do have our Rex Ryan Hall of Fame inductees. Is just the, just the one, Sean? Just the two? Or We're Oldman, Oldman and Al Jackson? Oldman and Samuel Jackson, yeah. Okay. So that does wrap up for this week. So next week we will see who will face True Romance in round two. And we've got Back to the Future part two against The Mummy. Have either, have both of you seen Back to the Future part one? Yes. Uh, I think so. All right, was Not for a while. Useful if you have, but I mean, it's not the most complex of plots if you've... Uh, missed anything but yeah back to the future part two and the mummy i've not seen the mummy in ages and i've been looking forward to seeing it again so uh fun matchup that week and then the week after sean skyfall and king arthur huge huge matchup that i am pumped for that already to be there. i am pumped i've also for that i've also got me covid jab second one next thursday so we'll see how that recording goes next week <laughs> if, if anything's going to get me pumped up, it'll be Back to the Future too. So, uh, oh god, I forgot how much you love that film. And Jack. 
No, oh, Jack, Jack's the same. Brilliant. As I said, we watched the triple bill at the cinema together. Well, left after two because of uh, mitigating circumstances. So, thank you for listening. Hopefully, Jack will be back with us next week. Two-hour two hour shift there. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Keen. And Sean, I'm not too sure how much you were with us for, but you are here now. So, uh, I'll thank you for that. We'll be back next week. Adios. Goodbye.